0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I've made a few what I call dunce head decisions in my life. You know what I mean by dunce head? Uh, you know, the idea is you look back on this decision, you say, what was I thinking when I did that? Or what was I thinking when I didn't do that? Or what was I thinking when I said that? You know, one of the things, have you ever said anything, the, the words went out and all of a sudden you went no, no, no come back, right? You couldn't get them back. And, and then I realized at those times, that's right, yeah, I, I wasn't thinking, was I, when I did that. Anyone besides me would be open enough to say, yeah, I've made a few done-said decisions in my life, okay? Some of you haven't, that's pretty amazing. Um, But I've also made some really good decisions in my life, decisions that I have been so grateful for, so glad um, that I made them. And one of those decisions was convincing my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time, but convincing Glenda to become my wife. I don't know if it may have took a lot of convincing. I'm not sure. But I remember saying to her at some point after we'd been together for a while, we were driving and I said, you know what? I, I love you. And I expected to hear back what? I love you too. And it was just silent. <laughs> I think I probably asked, do you love me? And she said, I don't know. How would I know? You know, she, she was only 15 when I started dating her, so um, I was 19. Anyway, so I said, well, you do love me. <laughs> and I finally managed to convince her, I guess. And, uh, but so that what a great decision that was for me, to have, you know, my wife, and she's been so, so faithful, so good, so valuable in my, our, my life, our relationship. So publicly thank you. And uh, what a great decision. Um, But it's not the best decision I made in my life. The very best decision I ever made in my life was to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. That was the best decision. I grew up in and around church, you know, heard the stories and... um, but I was in churches that didn't, a church that didn't really believe the stories. They, you know, they taught them for good morals or whatever. And, and so I didn't really hear the gospel until I was 19 years old. And then it took me well over a year to finally really, whoa, wait a minute. If this is true, that means that I, you know, I'm lost. And so the Lord kept after me until I finally one day said, okay, I get it. And I remember April 4th, 1975, and I only know the date not because I have such a great memory, but because I wrote it down. April 4th, 1975, when I finally said, okay, God, I get it, I have, I've sinned against you, my sins have separated me from you, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again, and right now, by faith, I receive Jesus, my savior. And uh, everything changed. My whole direction in life changed. How I looked at life changed. Uh, not perfectly, and man, am I still a work in progress, even all these years later, you know, still very much a work in progress. Uh, But it was a decision that I never, ever regretted. Now, we've been talking about um, some pretty heavy subjects over the past few months. You know, the Scripture raised those subjects, and we've talked about it. And this is heavy, but in a different way. It's heavy in a light way, (laughs) heavy in a good way, a positive way. Cause, uh, let me ask you this: How many of you would say you're, you're confident? You know, yes, that decision you're talking about, Walt. I have made that same decision. I have prayed to receive Christ. And, and, and raise your hand, yeah, if that's you, right? Okay. Uh, I just want to say to you that that was the best decision you ever made. Eternal, eternal ramifications. And so that's what we're going to look at. But it's the best decision you ever made was to receive Christ as your Savior. And in our passage of Scripture today, we're going to see three things. And these aren't exhaustive reasons why it was the best decision, but these are really good reasons why it was the best decision. And the first one is this, that that you are now forever saved from sin and on your way to a glorious, guaranteed future. Okay? The second reason is that God uses every trial in your life for your eternal good. Uh, before you became a believer or for people who don't, aren't believers in Christ, that is not true for them. But for those who know him, who have a relationship with it, is it okay? is. And the third one is that your personal relationship with Jesus is worth more than anything else in life. And I just say to you that the longer I go in my life, the more true I see that that is okay the more it's a reality of my life so let's go to first Peter Peter's first letter here first Peter chapter 1 I believe it's page 1390 in the, the uh, Bible that's there in the chairs and if you don't have a Bible with you we really really encourage you to follow along there pick up that Bible and turn to page 1390 now Peter wrote this letter to uh, Christians who were spread out uh, through, uh, mostly this would have been Asia, Asia Minor, um, with very much a consciousness that he was speaking to Jews who had become Christians, but certainly what he's talking about applies to every Christian, not just Jewish believers. So that means it applies to us as well, all right? So let's Let's uh, uh, pick up in verse 3, in verses 1 and 2, he greets them and tells who he's talking to and you know, blesses them with, with uh, what, grace and peace. And then verse number 3, he says these words. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And then, that you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ meaning his appearance, his return. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith. In other words, the the purpose, the goal, the destination, receiving the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise to speak to us through it. and We pray for that today, that your spirit would take these words and help us to see and understand truths that will be an encouragement to us, Lord, as we seek to live our lives for you. Speak to us about the things that we need to hear from you about in our own personal lives as well. We trust you to do this, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in verses 3 through 5, these first three verses, we see that first reason that this is the best decision you ever made. And that's because you are forever saved from sin. Forever saved from sin and on your way to a glorious future. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't see that. So let's go to the verse here. Isaiah, no Micah, there's not an Isaiah verse, verse there? Aha, yeah there, there, yeah, there we go. The prophet Isaiah talked about this. I mean, it says here that he, he, he uh, It's abundant mercy, he's begotten us again, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and he rose because he died. He first died, and Isaiah talks about it like this. He says that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God the Father, and you know these things, but let's review them, and there might be somebody here or somebody watching who doesn't know these things, so don't tune out on this. Right? We... Every one of us has sinned against a holy God. We've broken his commandments. We've been selfish, self-centered. It's been about us. We have not loved God as we should. We have not loved our neighbors we should. And as a result, that means we have committed sins along the way. Uh, and those sins separate us from a holy God. And, and he is so holy that there's no way you and I, apart from God's provision, could ever be able to walk into his presence and survive it. He is so holy. But he loved this so much as well that he sent his only son into the world, and he, the man Jesus, the God the Son becomes Jesus, lives that perfect and sinless life here on earth, and then he goes to the cross. And as he dies there, that's so what Isaiah says, and elsewhere in Scripture, is that God took my iniquity, and iniquity means this. There's lots of words for sin in the Bible. And iniquity is one of them. And iniquity really speaks of the core issues because iniquity literally means lawlessness. And what that means is I make my own laws. I've rejected God's and I do my own thing. So iniquity is at the center, right? Ourselves. We're going to decide what's right. We're going to decide, you know, what we're supposed to do or not do, how how we're supposed to do it. And we might accept somebody else's beliefs on that, but we are the ones in charge. And man, did we mess up. Every one of us have just blown it repeatedly. And so we are separated from God, which is why he sent his son. And as Jesus hangs on the cross there, somehow, how God does this, I can't fully fathom, but God takes the penalty for my iniquity, my self-centeredness, and all the sins that came from it. And he places it on Jesus, and he dies there and pays the penalty in full. And as he hangs it on the cross, and he comes to that point of death, and he says, "It." is finished, he meant he had died. I and mean, He had paid the price in full, and then he, he dies. And then three days later, he rises, uh, you know, showing us that he was indeed victorious. He had accomplished what he said he was going to do, what God sent him to do. He had accomplished it. God had accepted his payment for our sins. All right? And so then the Bible tells us that if we will just believe that, And I don't mean, you know, curse, oh, I believe that. No, I mean believe where we know it and trust it for ourselves. And we come before the Lord like I did as a 19 year old and say, okay, God, I get it. You know, I I I give up. I give up doing my own thing, living my own way. I turn away from that to you, and, and I'm gonna trust you for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that's what He did for us. How much love is that? Have you ever been blamed for something that you did not do? How does that feel? I mean, of all the things that we don't like in life, when we get blamed for what somebody else did, we feel that's, that's just not right, that's unjust, that isn't fair, we hate that. And yet because he loved us, he took the blame for things he did not do so that we could get credit for his righteousness, all the good and perfection that he is. Amazing thing that God did for us. And because of that, we are saved from sin for how long? How long? Forever. forever. Forever and forever and ever and ever and ever. You receive eternal life the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as Savior and every sin is forgiven forever. All right? And so uh, it's just... I tell you what, if you decide that you want to do something to really grow in your relationship with Christ, just start later today and take a little time each day over the next few weeks and just ponder what it really means to be saved. What God did for you. What that means about God. What does it mean about you? Huh. What does it mean about you? If God values you that highly, do you see it starts to affect all sorts of things, doesn't it? Okay, how we see ourselves and how we see other people and all that. So it just affects so, so much. And we are forever saved from sin. And we're on our way to a glorious future. So let's look at the verses again here. Verse 4, we are on our way then to an inheritance means God's going to give us, that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away and it is reserved in heaven for you. It is there for you. Now, when ancient treasures are discovered, sometimes when those treasures were originally put away into that place, the vault or wherever they are eventually discovered, you know, they were extremely valuable. But because we live in a sin cursed world and, and uh, you know, things rust, things decay, things break down, it's not unusual when by the time those treasures are discovered that, that they have been corrupted. They, you know, they have been decaying. Okay? But our treasure in heaven is what? What does it say? Incorruptible. It's not going to decay. Okay. And then it says, uh, or sometimes these uh, treasures and things, sometimes you know, dirt has gotten into them or water has gotten into them and it, is, it has affected them and so uh, they aren't as valuable as they used to be. But once again, he says, our inheritance is what? Undefiled. It doesn't have any of that in it. And that does not fade away. Sometimes just the, the, the treasures that are there, they've faded And they just aren't as valuable, but not our treasures in heaven. Our treasures in heaven are, I don't wanna say it, they're they're not subject to that. The things that God has for us in heaven don't. Jesus, this is why Jesus tells us, remember he says that uh, we need to move on there, Edward, if you can. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm halfway through the sermon, but I'm not. Okay, let me back up. Let me slow down. Let me slow down for a minute. Talk about the sins thing. I meant to do that. So, Micah, in talking about God's people, Israel, had been sinning against God, and then they had repented, and and he talked about what's going to happen and how God was going to forgive them and what he was going to do for them. And I think this could apply to us as well in our own salvation. And he says to this, he says that to God, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. How deep is the sea? Well, the average depth, they say, is about 12,000 feet, a little over two miles deep. But they really, they don't know that for sure because they've only mapped about 10% of the ocean floors. Okay, but they think that's about the average depth. But if you go out into the uh, southern South Pacific Ocean, down near Guam, and there's a... a, a geographical feature called the Marianas Trench and on the far end of it there's a place that's called Challenger deep that's what they call it and it is over 36,000 feet deep. Mount Everest is only 29,000 and a few feet high so the ocean is deeper it's about a mile and a half deeper than Everest is high in fact it's as deep as the average about the average airplane the the jetliners fly so, if God throws your sins there, you say, oh no, maybe someone's going to find them. No, let's think about this. If you happen to be on a cruise, going over the Challenger Deep in the Marianas Trench, and you drop your cell phone over the edge, guess what? You're not getting it back. And the idea is when God puts this, he says, I will cast your sins in the depth of sea. That's what he's saying. They're never coming back against you. Ever again. Now you may suffer in this life the consequences of your choices but as far as your relationship with God in eternity, it's done forever. Isn't that awesome? Okay. And then he says another thing. He says uh, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let me say I'm glad he did not say as far as the north is from the south. Because if you start at the North Pole and head south, you get to the South Pole, and it's about 12,000, a little over over 12,000 miles away. But you can get there, right? But if you start east, in the east, and head to the west, when do you get there? You know, if we start here, and we head west, and we hit San Francisco in a little over 3,000 miles, can we still go west from San Fran? Can we see, yeah. So let's say we go another 5,000 miles to Tokyo. Can we go west from there? We we'll go about another 6,000 miles and we get to Paris. And can we still go west from there? And we go back. We're here in Boston again, but can we still go west? How long can you go west? Forever. It's like an infinite thing. How far has he removed our sins from us? So far, they can, never, they can never be found. They can't come back, okay? It is not going to happen. All right, and then I already talked about the treasures, so go ahead and put up Matthew there, if you would, what Jesus said about the treasures. Go ahead, Edward, if you would, to that one. There we go. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt or destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he he says, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. But lay up your treasures in heaven because treasures in heaven do not fade away, they do not get corrupted, they are not defiled, they do not become impure. And I got a sense that when we get to heaven, we're going to discover that what we actually invested in eternal things that there's an amazing return on the investment. More than we expected. You know, if you have a 401k or a 403b, something like that, and your company matches the money right up to a certain amount, and so you put that money in and it immediately is worth twice as much, well, I think it's like that, only greater. Much greater in heaven. give you an example. uh, I just read this week about a couple who got involved in, you know how people go and, and have, do auctions for storage units that get left behind? Well, they went to an auction, and they bought a storage unit that had not been paid for. They paid $500 for what was in that storage unit, not knowing what was in it. And in it, they found a safe that had over $7 million cash in it. Now, I don't understand this. You have $7 million cash in a safe, and then you don't make the $75 a month payment on the storage unit. (laughs) But anyway, so apparently the previous owners, all so they they made a connection, and they made a deal. Anyway, so they ended up taking $1.2 million. $500 in, $1.2 million out. Now, I'm not saying it's exactly like in heaven, but I gotta tell you, I think that's the idea. We, we make you know, what seem like small sacrifices here, we, either in our time or our money or uh, our resources, whatever, and we invest it in the kingdom of God and the work of God, that when we get to heaven, we're going to discover, wow, my storage unit has amazing things in it. <laughs> uh, and I gotta think, I feel like when I get there and I see what's in the storage unit, what God has stored up there for me, based on my interactions and life with him here and now, I'm going to say, man, why didn't I put more in there? You know what I'm saying? Because then we'll see it more clearly. But he's telling us ahead of time that that it's true, and we need to see it and believe it that it's going to be worth it. Anything that I invest in the kingdom of God for the Lord is going to be worth it many, many times over. Um, Yeah, and so you don't want any regrets and you don't want to also, you know, not keep up that storage unit, (laughs) have it auctioned off, but uh, that's not gonna happen to you. All right, so uh, this is the idea of, uh, we have a glorious future let me see here. That's right. So let's look here in verse 5 again. He says, you're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. You are kept. This means guarded. That word means guarded by the power of God. Um <clears throat> You know, you go places and, and, and you see places that are guarded. And if you see guards standing outside of something, what do you think about what's there? Must be important, right? Must be valuable. Well, it is valuable to God, and so who's guarding it? Has God given this job to somebody else? No, no, he's keeping it himself. He is the one who is guarding our salvation, which is, again, that's why we are forever safe from sin, because he Is guarding it. He is keeping it for us. Uh, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10 when he's talking about those who believe and follow him. He says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. We could stop right there, right? I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. But then he says this, right, that neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Nobody can get, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you receive Christ as Savior, he takes hold of you. You can hold on to him. You can let go of him. Hold on. Let go. He always has a hold of you. And he says what? Nobody's getting you away from me. Nobody. Okay? And then he says, he continues, he says, my father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And he says, I and my father are one. We've got you. We've got you covered. He is keeping your salvation. Do you start to see again why this is probably the greatest, not probably, why it is the greatest decision you ever made? Because God is holding on to you. All right. All right. So let's, let's continue here. Let's go to verses 6 and 7 now. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ until the end so he talks here about the trials when he says that you are grieved by trials you have been grieved by various trials the word that's translated grieved here is a word that refers to deep emotional pain this is not just inconveniences these are deep emotional pains that we, we experience in life. And by the way, those are the kinds of things that really end up affecting us and changing how we look at life. And then we make decisions on the basis of those things. And this is where so much of our trouble comes from, these deep emotional pains. Uh, but God is bigger than that. He's at work in it. By the way, this word, <laughs> deep emotional pains, became uh, often used to describe childbirth something that I know very little about other than observing it. Um, so it's, it's deep stuff, isn't it? It's hard stuff. Hurtful stuff. That's what he's talking about here. He says, you, you, you grieve now at this point in time. But he says, uh, read verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be. If need be. In other words, it's something that needs to happen. Um, man, you know, had some things in my life that were very, very hard for me. Um, just very, very difficult, overwhelming, where you're faced with, you know, how do I respond here? And how I respond is going to determine, you know, what's going on in the rest of my life. And uh, it's so hard and so heavy. But, you know, it's those times that I've always grown the most. It's those times when I've grown the deepest. It's those times when I was motivated to take a serious look at things in my life. And so, the scriptures say here, if need be. And there are times and places in our lives where it is necessary that we go through hard things, things that grieve us, things that grieve us deeply. And I'm not saying that God is causing those things. We live in a sin-cursed world, don't we? <laughs> a sin-cursed world that, that brings plenty of its own trouble. And then we experience that because we have you know, physical pains, we have relational pains. Uh, and so all these things come to play, and God allows them. Could God stop them? Could he? Not a trick question. Of course he could. Most of the time he doesn't. He lets nature take its course. But here's what he does. He takes those things that are happening in our lives and tugs at our hearts and and challenges our minds and works and says, hey, I know this is a bad thing. It's hard. But tell you what, cooperate with me. Work with me. I'm going to do something really, really good for you through this. Before you come to Christ, that's not true in your life. But once you come to Christ, God goes to work, and he doesn't let any of those things go to waste. He he knows how to work in our lives to get us to see something different, to make a different decision, or to maybe to be confirmed in in what we know is true and right. And so he works all of these things together. We know the verse. We like the verse. Romans 8.28, right? We know God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes. He has purpose in our lives. And so if need be, he lets us go through these things and then he works in our lives. And that is such a good thing for us. Um, Paul says in the second letter to the Corinthians, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Does it seem like light affliction when you're in the middle of it? Does it? No. But in light of eternity, we will discover this was a light affliction. You know how we said the idea is any treasures that we lay up in heaven, we get there and go, wow, this is much greater than I thought. Well, I think that you're going to get to heaven and this, all the things that were so bad here, we're going to look and say, Wow. I guess that wasn't so bad after this is so amazing right there's no comparison here and which is but for a moment (laughs) Um, so you know I like to play around with math and numbers and stuff. so I'm just trying to figure out so let's say you live 80 years and all 80 of your years are terrible I mean really all 80, you know, anything bad can happen, happen to you all the time. 80 years of terribleness. Do you understand and it's hard for even to get the head around but do you understand that a, a million years with Christ and eternity, that'll seem like a couple of days in comparison? When you make 10 million years, it'll be a couple of hours in comparison, just but for a moment, in comparison to eternity. And I, I, I don't think we're going to have to wait a million or 10 million years to figure that out. I think when all of a sudden we leave this boundary and all the limitations here that we are going to discover and have, all of a sudden we have a different view of eternity. We see it different. We understand it differently. And, and the ideas we will see is, wow, what, you know, all this, we already talked about what God did through it and what he did in our lives and, and the amazing thing that it is, all of these trials that went on and how God worked. Uh, a man named Larry Strickland, I don't know if he's out of prison yet, uh, but he spoke. 62 years old, and 43 of those years he spent in prison for a crime he did not commit, okay? Because as the years went on, eventually the, one of the victims of the crime, there was someone murdered and someone assaulted, and this person had identified him as, as the guy. Later on, she got to think about it realized, you know what, I don't really know that it was him. And it turns out that two other people actually... Now, however they got to them, confessed to the crime and were sent to jail and spent 10 years and got out. Well, Larry Strickland was still in jail. And they're working to try to get him out, to get somebody to make the right decision here. 43 years out of 62. Now, if he is a believer, and based on some of his statements, it kind of makes me think he is. But if he's a believer, you know what happens when his life is over? He's going to say, wow. My light affliction, which was just but for a little while. You know, you can't even compare to what God is doing for me here. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, that wasn't worth it. No, you will say, wow, was it worth it? It was worth it in so many ways. Um, Glenn and I were talking this week about how God works in our lives through the trials. And, you know, about how, obviously, in our lives, the things that were the hardest are where we grew the most and learned the most. Um, And we were talking about how God is always at work in our lives in those ways. He's always working there. He's always working for our eternal good. He's always working to get us to be more like Christ. And, And he's faithful, and he's working in ways. And what our realization was, as we talked, is that, I bet he's doing a lot more than I even know. The part I know is amazing. But he's at work behind the scenes doing more than I even realized. Is that a reason to rejoice? Yeah. You say, well, I don't know what he's doing. Yes, but do you know that he's doing it? See, you don't know what he's doing, but you can know that he is doing. All right. And so this is why James tells us, he says that my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it joy because God is working. That's another thing that we have come to and, and we don't like it when something all of a sudden, boy, this is not good, this is bad, this is hard. I, you know, my natural tendency would be just to run away from this. But wait a minute. God is doing something that's going to be worth it forever. I don't know what it is, but I know that he's doing it. And so do you. We can rejoice. You see why receiving Christ, the best decision you could ever make? Because it makes all of these trials worth it. Okay? All right, let's continue here. The third thing, your personal relationship with Jesus is worth more than anything else in life. And Peter talks about it this way. Verse 8, he said, Whom having not seen you love, though so now you do not see him, yet believing. Um, my, my general practice is, and it, it doesn't always happen, this it doesn't happen every day, but my general practice is to sit down, some point every day and just be there with the Lord now the Lord's always with me <laughs> but when I sit and I I focus in and say okay Lord you're here and I'm I'm with you and I want to know you I want you to have your way in my life I you know I have needs all those kinds of things look to his word but those times are more and more precious to me the longer I do it it's like getting together with an old friend had the opportunity to do that this summer. Went someplace and got together with an old friend for years, and it's like we have struck up and like we had never been apart. Jesus is like that, only better. And, you know, as we look, focus on these things and understand what he's doing, we come to love him. We love him because he first loved us and how he, he loved us. Um... And I just want you to just think about this, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we love him even though we don't see him. We haven't seen him. We, lo- we believe him even though we don't see him. And look in verse 8. What's, what's the deal? Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible. Joy you can't put into words. And I would say to you that that is, that is what you can experience in your relationship with the Lord. And there's lots of times when life is so much upheaval and you're, you're talking to the Lord or you're just commiserating over life in his presence. You know, and you don't always think of so. it, but I got to tell you that um, as you do that faithfully, you pursue your relationship with the Lord, there will be those times where all of a sudden you will have joy inexpressible. Joy that you can't put into words. A satisfaction. A peace. And not in any weird way, but an awareness of the presence of God in your life. And that's he says full of glory. Full of God. We can experience that. But let's talk about this relationship that God has with us. Because why do we love Him? Somebody knows the answer. Because He First loved us. It was his love toward us that initiated. So let's, let's, let's think about that for just a little bit. In the book of Jeremiah, God talking to his people says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have what? Drawn you. How did you come to know the Lord? What did he do? Through circumstances and people and your own heart, he, he drew you. Why? Because he loved you. He loves you. You know? What a blessing that is. And, and then in Isaiah talking to his people, he says, I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. And i got to think this is kind of a prophetic statement. Because what's in the palm of Jesus' hands? Nail scars, Right? He's inscribed us on the palms of his hand. I'm never going to forget you. Okay? And and then um, Paul, excuse me, the author of Hebrews quotes the Lord when he says this, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. This relationship that you have with Jesus, he's not going to leave you. People in life will leave you, won't they? I bet every one of us in life have been abandoned by someone that we didn't want to abandon us. He never will. And because of that, because he's always there, we don't have to be afraid. We can walk faithfully with him. And then a verse that we all know so well, a couple of them from Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm so smart? I'll fear no evil because I'm so strong. I will fear no evil because you, God, are with me. You're with me here. That's the relationship that we have with him. He is always with us so that we can then say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This relationship will go on forever. And then Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, when he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What good news is that? And by the way, we could keep going down the list. Keep looking at the scriptures, and we're going to stop there. But this relationship, your personal relationship with Jesus, is worth more than anything else in life. It really is. And you want to remember that and let that change you. Because here's the truth. The best decision you ever made was to receive Christ as your Savior. And um, if you haven't done that, you need to do that, just like I talked to you about earlier. Make that decision. But I want to change this. It's easy to see that up there and go, oh, yeah. But let's let's personalize this for ourselves. Let's go ahead and go to that, if you would, Edward. And let's read, read this out loud with me, would you? The best decision I ever made was to receive Christ as my Savior. Is this encouraging to you? It ought to be. That's what I want. I want you to be encouraged by it and go through life like this because everything that happens and even all the hard stuff we've talked about in the Word and you deal with all kinds of stuff, never forget this, that that's the best decision you ever made. And the more you understand about it, the better it gets. Okay? One last thought. So what do you do today then? You, you, You understand this. Okay, well, what's the best decision you can make today, then? Well, the, here's what I would say. The very best decision I can make today is to pursue my relationship with Christ wholeheartedly, embracing, by faith embracing, whatever that means in my life. What does it mean? I don't know. But Whatever it means, we have these truths, right? Forever saved, glorious future, guaranteed future, The trials are not wasted. The hard things that he brings us to are not wasted. The the relationship with Christ is more valuable to me than everything else. So you know what? I want to pursue that with Christ and know that as I embrace it, whatever it means in my life, it'll be worth it. And I'll be glad that I did. No regrets. Ever. Ever. Father, thank you for this, what what you've done in our lives. Lord, help us to see it and let it sink down deep into our souls, our hearts. And Lord, help it uh, work so that it permeates our mind and our thinking, Lord, so that we can go through life uh, living by your word and believing it and knowing that uh, what a great thing it is. And that we can have that joy that's beyond our ability to express. Thank you for working in our lives in this way. Even when we don't understand it or see it all, thank you that you keep working. You are always faithful. And I pray, Lord, you'd stir our hearts to look to you and say, hey, how can I embrace more fully what it means to walk with you? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. God loves you greatly. Go live it out.